afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another online Power Planners Assembly. And I'd like to start off by saying, it's March. Where's the year going? Now, what I really wanted to say was thank you very much to our supporters. Uh, that's our friends at Aegon, Barnett Waddingham, Just, MG Wealth, Novia, Parmenian, Timeline, and Transact for their support of the assembly and the whole of Power Planning. We're very grateful for that. Um, if you're not following us here on Crowdcast already, there should be a link towards the top of your screen that says follow. Um, Smash that button, as I say, in YouTube land, um, and we can notify you when we're going live and what events are coming up and all those kind of things. If it's your first time here, it's great to have you along. These are very relaxed and interactive sessions. Um, you can ask questions on the chat room. You'll see on the right-hand side of your screen, there's a little kind of chat icon, which is the chat room. Then there's a little question mark in a box. You can put a question in there if you want to as well. Um, I'll keep an eye on those and bring them up as we go. You can feel free to chat amongst yourselves in the chat room and to test it's working. Um, can you pop in the chat what exam you're thinking or planning of doing next? Um, that'd be really good to hear. Um, so we've also started producing a podcast um, for each of our assemblies, uh, and you can download and listen to those if you prefer. Uh, you can play it from the event page on our website, or you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, anywhere you get your podcast from. Just search for Paraplanist Assembly. And we've got a special event coming up on the 12th of May, which is our personal development power-ups for power planners. That's not easy to say. Um, really good morning of development work there. Uh, we'll pop a link in the chat room. Uh, we've got a few tickets left on that one. It's, it's a small group. I think we're doing 30 on that one, but there's a few left. Um, so if you want to click the link when it appears, there it is, um, in the chat room, um, then you can sign up for that. Right. Um, we did our big survey uh, towards the end of last year and the start of this year about what you'd like us to talk about. So thanks to everybody um, who put loads of suggestions in there. And anything to do with exams is always really popular, um, both in that survey and also on the big tent. You can tell when the exam season is coming around because questions go crazy inside there, um, which is always quite interesting. Um, so today we're going to be sharing some insights into revision tips and exam techniques that have worked for our guests um, or the candidates that they work with. Most of all, we'd love you to share your tips for exam success or ask any burning questions in the chat room. Um, now's your time before the next exam hits, so, so feel free to fire away inside there. And I'm really pleased we're joined by two people that know a lot more than I do about exams and revision, uh, which is good news because I haven't taken one for years, which we'll come on to a bit later on. So I'll get them to introduce themselves. So Natalie, should we start with you? Thanks, Richard. Yes, um, I'm Natalie Dawes. I'm the Academy Support Advisor here at BTS. That's Bespoke Training Solutions. Um, BTS provides um, financial, um, financial exam support primarily for the CII route. Um, was up until recently only the ROs, but we're now providing support for the AFs as well. Um, just a very small piece on my background in that it is predominantly financial services, but also um, education as well, which is why I've ended up here at BTS so I can marry the two together and I've been here now for three months and it has been an absolute whirlwind and I'm loving it. Brilliant um, thank you and Alan. Uh, hi yeah my name is Alan Gow I'm a power planner and director here at Argonaut Power Planning which is an outsourced business I've been running for nearly 12 years. Um, I got my fellowship last year year before recently relatively recently um after um i worked it out i think about 22 exams i think including a few little kind of extra bits and pieces along the way like some general insurance stuff and the mortgage one but yeah about 22 exams 
Brilliant, thank you. And although um, we, we talked already a bit about kind of um, ROs and AS and the CII route, um, we're agnostic about that here. So you could be doing CISI, LIBF, or whatever you're doing. Um, doesn't matter. Um, everything we talk about here is going to apply to that. Um, so Natalie, Alan's just um, slipped in there quite early. That is a fellow, um, and I, I can't top that one. What, what's your exam history um, so can't, far? Can't top that one, but I, I would like to work towards that. Um, so I have just taken my seventh exam. So I, I completed the level four diploma last year, had a little bit of a break, um, and then went back to studies at the end of last year. And I actually sat the AF5 exam yesterday. So I am fresh out of the exam room um, and pleased to get that one behind me hopefully. Wow. Well, I am not fresh at an exam room. So I, I did get to um, certified financial planner and chartered status quite a long time ago and haven't gone near an exam since then. Um, so I've got a few questions I'm going to sneak in later on for us old timers. I haven't done it for a while. Um, so I think we've got a kind of varied experience there, uh, which is good. So let's start off then. Natalie, I'm going to uh, come to you for the first question, really. What, what are the typical questions you get asked at BTS on a regular basis? Yeah, so it is really wide bearing. And I've been looking at the chat here and I think some of this is is quite relevant. Um, so we get quite a lot of calls from people that are either new to the industry entirely um, or have been in the industry a little while and looking at taking some exams for the first time. So it's really starting their study journey or people that are returning to studies as well. Equally, we've got people that are level four diploma qualified and they might now be starting to think about their routes chartered a little bit like myself. Um, and another thing that pops up quite a lot is this whole theory around double bubbling. So can you study towards two exams at the same time where there might be quite a lot of overlap? And that is something we hear regularly and we help our candidates to find ways forward bespoke to them um, that's going to really work. Okay, we'll come on to the whole double bubble thing a bit later on, because um, I know that Alan's got a bit of experience uh, around doing that one. Um, do you get, uh, let's just go straight into kind of panic mode, which is one of my favourite modes. Um, do you get calls from people where things aren't going quite so well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's about having a proper conversation about that, really. Sometimes you might pick up the phone at BTS and you'll be on the phone for five minutes. Another time you might be on the phone 45 minutes because you, you really need to talk through the process that someone is following with their study plan. Have they even got a study plan? That is something that comes up quite a lot. Sometimes people are just throwing themselves at a unit and not really doing it with any structure. And structure is really, really important. OK, um, so let's let's explore a bit more around what's gone well. So Anna, I'm going to come to you. So you're an exam master by now. So what's gone particularly well for you from a kind of a, a personal perspective and also from a, a kind of how you go about studying? I set out for chartered. I, I, I did my diploma and I had a long gap and I decided I wanted to try and get chartered. So when I started doing exams again, it was a bit of a big undertaking for me to, to kind of get into that mindset again. Um, so the win for me was not just getting to chartered, but because of the way you can kind of play the numbers game. Um, I got a few extra credits along the way that got me my my fellowship. Um, and I think that's a, that's a piece of advice that a, a, a power planning colleague gave to me to, to kind of double up on exams where you can. And um, it really paid off. The other thing really? I'd say uh, is uh, one of the other things that really worked for me was sharing the study, not doing it alone. 
I think there's an awful lot to be gained from studying with people, having study groups, doing online courses, being part of forums, all that stuff. It's really, really, really useful. Yeah, um, we see quite a lot of stuff on the... Sorry, Natalie, you go on. No, it's fine. I was just going to add on to that, really, in that I would absolutely agree with the community side of it. Um, when I was doing my level four, it was only very late on that I started being active on places like LinkedIn. And it was there that I met a lot of people in the same boat, studying the same units. And you would then develop relationships and study together. So that really, really helped. Okay, so that, that's interesting. And we've had quite a few um, questions on, on the Big Tent about studying together, study groups, you know, in person, remote. So can you kind of just explain um, how that can be done? Is, is it something as simple as just maybe going into a LinkedIn group uh, where people are doing the same exam as you, right down to, you know, people actually meeting up, probably virtually or in person? You know, what's your experience? What are your tips around the best way to approach that? I've done different things for different exams. So, um I've done a couple where um, I joined an online study course where you've got a group of maybe up to half a dozen people, so nice and small, where you're guided through what the exam content might be and the kind of style of the answers that the examiners are looking for, um, where you can all discuss it together, compare notes, compare understandings, ask questions. It's all live. It's all real time. Face to face is fantastic, but they might be a day or two. Um, Separate to that, I've done things where you've got like a forum through a through an exam um, provider like BTS, where you can talk to people, um, ask questions, find out what stage other people are at, and compare your understanding with different areas. And you can kind of dip in and out because you can use the form as you want it. And I found the the two together kind of do different things and work really well together. Yeah. Uh, Natalie, how about you? Have you got any experience of those? No, agreed, really. I have the same kind of similar experiences to um, what Alan was just talking about there. Um, and I think um, specifically with, and I know there's lots of exam boards, so make sure you choose the right one for you. But for me, that was the CII route and I used Revision Mate and the forums that were in there um, then was specific to the unit that I was studying. Um, and actually from there, I then connected with a lot of people on LinkedIn and, it, and that relationship built outside of the forum and we stayed in touch and we might have been studying the same units. You'd, again, you'd stay in touch and, and compare notes, etc. The other side to it that's really good, and this is what I found particularly helpful, the study textbook that you might be using will explain something their way. You'll then go down a Google rabbit hole trying to find a way that works for you. But actually just having someone that you can go to and say, what's your thoughts on this? I'm just, I'm not quite getting this. And someone else will explain it or vice versa, you will for them. And you really help each other that way. Mm. Yeah, it'd be good to, to hear in the chat uh, for anybody that's watching, if they've done any of this kind of working together with other people in whatever form uh, and what's gone well and maybe what hasn't gone so well. And how did you find them? Um, that'd be really good to share with other people. Um, if you don't mind. Um, I've had a question which, which has just come in, which I think is an interesting one. Natalie, you might have a slightly biased answer for this one, but it'd be good <laughs> to hear. So um, I'm going to paraphrase this one. Do I just need the exam uh, body's textbook or should I look at other resources as well? So, so I'll start with Alan on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a really good question. It depends on you and how you learn. So I like to go through the book with a highlighter. I like to highlight the bits that I need to come back to. 
and might highlight in a different color if it's something that requires a lot more attention because I know I don't have time to go through it all again. But I learn quite well that way and I'll make very brief notes as I go, which will be the thing that I'm looking at kind of the day before the exam, just to bring everything back to the front of my mind. That's what works for me. Um, but some people really like the kind of short bullet pointed um, tips and kind of like high level bullet points. Um, some people prefer the audio learning. Um, I've never used that. Uh, so I think it's different things for different people and working out what is it about how you learn and how you best retain information that works for you. Okay, Natalie, I reckon I might have an idea what you're going to say on this one, but um, <laughs> share with us. I'm not sure why you think my view might be biased. Um, to, just to point out, um, it is not compulsory to buy the exam board's uh, study guides. You can use other resources. There is um, just the assessment only route. So that is an important point to get out irrelevant of any biases I might have. And then the reason I say that is because some people might not get on with that uh, exam board study guide and therefore other options could be better and that's a really good thing for um, if you're a specific time of type of learner so it, you're on, you're on no obligation to buy the exam board study guide um, but it is about what works well for you and that might be a physical copy that you can highlight that Alan has um, as a preferred route over it might be a digital version so you, it really is trying to work out how you learn best and work with that yeah I, mean, I know uh, I'm thinking back to when I did exams um, I actually got the textbook but then somebody else managed to bring it to life for me um so just hearing somebody maybe put it into to plain speaking which always works for me um was very useful alan's kind of touched on this already and i've had a question come in about different learning styles which i think is really interesting and and i i was completely useless at school um you know dropped out of school when i was doing my a levels and it wasn't until i actually got into doing professional financial services exams that i started to understand what my learning style was i'm a visual person so when I discovered mind maps, like my brain is boom, um, and I really got through my exams really quite easy. So my learning style is very much visually orientated. Uh, I'm not so good at kind of just sitting down and reading loads of text. So, Alan, do you know what your learning style is or what works for you? Um, I, I, I like to make notes. That's what reinforces. It, it makes the information go from the from the page into my head. That, that's that's how I actually kind of learn it if I can take something that that is a couple of pages on a textbook and make it into a couple of sentences of notes that when I read it I go yeah I've, I've got that then I've, I've understood it um but I also kind of like reassurance I suppose I like to be able to discuss things with other people and talk through what they're finding difficult which I guess is just it puts your mind at rest to know it's not just you um when you're struggling with certain parts of it and um yeah i think just being able to ask questions of people and and, and discuss things on a on a one-to-one -one basis or in a group it really just helps reinforce um what i've learned in the book so for me that's kind of become my default um read, read the book make the notes join a group uh that, that's my strategy yeah, Natalie, you must have got experience with lots of different learning styles of people. I mean, what, what do you tend to see and what tips can you maybe give to people to actually tailor what they're doing to their own learning style? 
Um, yes, we do. We see lots of um, variations of learning style. Myself, like you, Richard, I'm a bit of a visual learner, but I also just to touch on a point that Alan made there, um, something that I really resonated with is the ability to be able to discuss things with someone else. And something that worked particularly well for me um, was what I call my study check in. So once a week, um, whilst I was building up to my diploma, I would have a study check in on a Friday morning um, with my line manager at the time, who was my mentor. And actually that hour that we had um, was used to go over the learning that I'd been doing the previous week and also touch upon anything that um, we'd uncovered as a bit of a knowledge gap. Um, and that was a really important part of me being successful um, to have that um, sort of contact with someone that I knew I could rely on. And equally, sometimes we wouldn't touch on the subject matter at all. Sometimes we would just build on my confidence because there would be weeks where it just wasn't going very well and I would need a bit of a G up and those sessions would be used for that. So that was really, really helpful. Okay, that's that's interesting. I'm just thinking back to how I did it as well, actually. Um, and um, I'm going to come back to to past papers in a second. There's quite a bit going on in the chat on those. But um, what kind of tips would you give to people that are kind of coming into financial services for the first time, or returning to work, or like me, haven't done an exam for years um, to kind of get back into the swing of things? Uh, have a huge amount of patience. <laughs> Um, when I came back to study, I hadn't studied for about 20 years. Um, so it was, a, it was a very long time and a bit of a shock to the system, actually, to find myself back in some textbooks, albeit knew what the end goal was. So that was my motivator. Um, I think it depends on your circumstances as well. So, uh, for example, with me, busy mum of three children and various other aspects of life thrown into the mix that you have to navigate trying to fit the study in and that again comes back to one of my favorite words which is structure and finding what works well for you so that's one side of it trying to find a way to fit the learning in around your lifestyle but i guess the other side of it is the content um because if it's brand new it could feel very overwhelming but that's where I think your wider community, if you can try and build on that, can really help you. So things like the Big Tent is fantastic because there's lots of conversations going on there. But there are lots of other avenues that you can go down as well to get that community. I'm not on my own feeling. Yeah, um, and I'd like to turn to you on this kind of getting the balance right. You run your own business. We've all got day jobs and we've all got lives outside of those, hopefully, as well. And then we've got the commitment and the time it takes to actually do an exam or 20 in your case, as it's been. So how, how do you go about getting the balance right? Yeah, uh, it's difficult. I mean, when I kind of got back on the exam train after having a gap of about 10 years, um, the first thing I did was I picked an exam that wasn't that many credits compared to the rest that I was facing um, to kind of ease myself back into it. Um, and then I ring fenced some time to start studying for it because I needed to get back into the habit. So I needed to rebuild that habit by taking a bit of my evening and saying, right, I'm going to spend this, this part of my day doing this part of whichever chapter. So it was all planned out. I put the exam first and I kind of planned my study backwards. So everything's split out between where we are now and when I'm doing the exam 
break it down into chunks and then yeah just kind of ring fence when works for me so i know uh some paraclimbers like to learn on their lunch breaks their head is in kind of workspace you're in the kind of whole technical space you're not thinking about family friends having fun and so they take the time out a lunch time and, and you know get their head stuck in a book or whatever um i couldn't make that work it was almost too much um I, you know i found evening study really good that's when my brain retains more information i'm, I'm not a morning person particularly um so yeah kind of having a structure and knowing when you learn best and, and and kind of just trying to ring fence the time i would say allow yourself days off don't think i'm studying for an exam i have to do this every day you don't i studied um i think four out of five weekday evenings and then i ring fence some time at the weekend and outside of that i didn't want to feel guilty that i wasn't studying so it's important to be able to kind of put it away when you're not studying and just go right that's that's over there now i'm not going to think about my exam i'm not worrying about my exam this is room fence time mm -hmm. yeah then that, that's a really good point um caroline's put an interesting comment in the chat uh, there's a 25 year gap <laughs> before she started doing exams again uh i'm not far short of that now i think um so that's impressive though uh but she found it much more easier um and more focused this time around so that's really good news um so talking about time scales how long Will it take someone to train for you know a specific exam or to achieve their qualifications? So, Natalie, what do you think on that one? I think that varies from person to person. Um, I know many candidates that have done the full diploma within a year or less sometimes, which I think is a massive undertaking. Um, I did my diploma over five years, um, which in comparison is a really long time but it's what worked for me. Equally, I think I learned a lot about myself over that period of time. And actually um, the maybe last sort of one or two units I did do um, faster than I'd done previous units from having um, more experience and more exposure to the financial planning um, sort of sector as it were, and therefore the learning became easier. Um, so I, I really don't think to try to give you an answer that you can give that a definitive answer because it's going to depend on your circumstances, your lifestyle, how much time you have, um, and equally what kind of pressures you might be under from a work perspective because there are um, certain job roles that you might be in where it is a requirement for you to sit a certain unit in a certain amount of time. So th th there's, there's just too many factors, but in an ideal world, you've got to do it in a time that works well for you. Yeah, I, I think it, it's your own pace. You've got to do it yes. your own pace, haven't you? Yeah. Um, but that's definitely the thing there. I mean, Alan, how long did it take you to go through each state at level four, level six, and then kind of gold status, getting your fellowship? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think um, I didn't do the regulated diploma. So I did my level four exams before before that, um, probably probably a couple of years. So I came into um, a financial services from the outside. I was encouraged to do my first exam. Um, and so everything was new. So I took my time. I did the FPCs and then there was a bit of a gap and I changed jobs. Um, and then I did some more and then I think I did one advanced exam and it just made my head hurt and then um, moved house and got married and had a kid and another kid and it, it was just it was, it was a bit much it's a bit much sometimes you just got to stop and allow other things to happen and when I got back on the exam train I was like right I want to get to chartered 
how can I do this? Um, and I mapped out over, I think it was about two years, what I was planning to do. Um, and then lockdown came along. And that kind of changed things because it created a lot more time and uh, the whole way you did exams changed and, you know, online uh, exams and so on. Um, so if I take out the gap, five years, maybe, it's a bit of a guesstimate. Do you kind of, do you feel you've kind of um, addicted's the wrong word, but you've kind of got on the, the the train, if you like, of exams, and it's easier to keep going once you're on there than maybe it is to get on in the first place. Yeah, I I, I spent longer thinking about trying to start doing exams again than I than I think I spent doing the exams. I think it just felt like such a massive undertaking, and do you know what? Honestly, it, it felt like something other people do. That's where it got to. It felt like other people are chartered and fellowship never crossed my mind. I did not set out to get fellowship. Um, and then um, I was chatting to Ben Farby, who um, some people on here might know. And Ben said, oh, if you're doing that exam at the moment, do this one as well, because the course content is really similar and you can double up your credits. And he was right. And that wasn't the only one where you can do that. And so by the end of doing my AFs, alongside some j exams i was only 10 credits shy of fellowship so it's not that i'm addicted to exams uh i did quite like the challenge in a, in a twisted sort of way but yeah you know I, I was happy with diploma and then you kind of see people around you getting more qualified and you feel a little bit of peer pressure perhaps um and as i say it was 10 years before i gave into it and i wanted to be able to promote my business more i wanted to put myself out there as a chartered um financial banner as well as a diploma a qualified power planner uh and so it kind of it's a bit of a mission creep might be the answer it, you know you start off thinking i'll just do this and then when you've done it you you have your eye on the next one of the ladder yeah, it's interesting you just mentioned about peer pressure. Um, there's some interesting stuff in the chat. I mean, Julie in particular said that um, we're making her feel less guilty about the time it's taken her. Uh, well, great. I mean, if we've done that today, then that's brilliant. Don't feel guilty about this kind of stuff. And there's a few other people saying they struggled a bit here. So I, I wrote a couple of notes down here, which is kind of how far should you go? Yeah, and also Alan's gone away to the fellowship and Natalie's just done diploma. Um, and then I also wrote down, do you know what? It's okay not to be doing exams. Um, I haven't done an exam, I think, now for 10 years. Um, and I think my knowledge is pretty okay. Um, you know, I kind of learn from the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, but you don't have to do exams. But I do feel there is this kind of peer pressure or maybe exam provider pressure out there that unless you are, you know, heading towards um, the next level, um, then it's not good. You know, you're doing the wrong thing. And Natalie, you, you said a great thing when we were preparing for this, saying that you see quite a few people saying, I'm heading towards chartered, and they haven't done an exam for five years. Um, <laughs> and it's almost like it's kind of like a, like a get-out-of-jail-free card. So what do you think about this kind of pressure about you must do exams if you're not, yeah, not good enough and all that kind of stuff, and how far should you go? Uh, I, I would immediately say I don't think it's a case of you must do exams. I think you, you've got to ask yourself why am I considering doing this exam? Or if you're in the midst of study and it's not going so well, sort of just evaluate your goals, really. Um, 
The thing with this industry is that there are requirements for us CPD wise. So you are always going to be learning. The industry is ever changing. So there's always opportunity to learn there as well. Um, so th there is no must about taking exams. It's more the reasoning why you're considering doing it or where you're working towards. But I, I, I do think sometimes it, that the and the, this isn't to put a dampener on anybody that is working towards chartered or has achieved it. But there shouldn't feel like there is that peer pressure side of it, which I think sometimes there does feel. Can I add to that? I think mm. I know a couple of parapanners who aren't diploma qualified, who are great at their jobs. They're really great at their jobs. They just don't want to do exams or they find exams very difficult. And the whole kind of premise of an exam is just really, really awkward. Um, and the other side of it is that because when you pass an exam, you've achieved something. We see it all over LinkedIn, people celebrating their successes all over the place and they're congratulated by loads of people. And, 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 and it feels good. And that's great. But it does make it feel a little bit like everyone everywhere is taking exams, passing exams streaks ahead of you and, and and it's not the case and i think we we take all these things that cause us to worry and build it into this picture in our mind that everyone's doing exams everyone's going to get chartered and we're somehow you know trying to keep up which is perhaps not yeah, a helpful I'd, place to come from yeah I, I, I think that's really valid and one thing i did want to talk about was two kind of sides of the same coin one of which is kind of this thing about deferred success um and i can't remember which of you kind of mentioned that to me but i like the idea about that one but also dealing with failure because failures out there um and people let's say don't pass exams let's just put a positive spirit and they fail them sometimes people fail exam so natalie got, got any tips for kind of that whole <laughs> i've done an exam i've got to wait so long now before my results come in or what do you do if you do fail well, um, so yes, the, de the term deferred success was from me. Um, equally, fail, first attempt in learning. I can put a positive spin on most things. Um, but I, I think the way that we, we need to be looking at it is that we need to talk about it more, first of all, because like Alan has said, you do see an awful lot of the successes um, sort of celebrated on LinkedIn. But what we're not celebrating is all of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes, particularly for those people that it hasn't gone so well with. Now, I have experience of that firsthand. Um, there was one particular unit um, quite early on in my study. So it was my second unit and I, I did RO2 and I actually failed that twice. Um, and that first time it was really disheartening. But to be honest with you, it, it, I dusted myself and picked myself up quite quickly, purely because I admitted to myself that I took the exam too soon. So that I knew the reasoning for that. The second time round, it was harder because I worked really hard for that exam. So to on the day, sit the exam, press that button, which everybody does very sort of tentatively, hoping that you're going to see that pass mark. And I didn't. And I really lost my confidence and it, it took me a little while to go back to the books, reevaluate and work out where it had gone wrong. And I think a lot of it was because I was dealing with that book chapter by chapter versus the learning outcomes. Um, and once I'd sort of pinpointed specific areas that I was struggling with, that's where it kind of came together. But it took an awful lot of 
self-affirmations and discussions with my line manager and mentor at the time. Um, and I think later on down the line, and then we're, we're going to come back to a point we made earlier on, what really helped with times of either deferred success or when things weren't going so well was to be able to talk about it and talk about it very freely and openly as if it's not an issue because it's not it's just a point of learn there is always a reason why it's gone wrong we just need to learn from it yeah i i, I think that's really right and your kind of first attempt in learning is getting a lot of uh, thumbs up in there which is really good from my own experience i mean thinking back to when i did the um the cfp um quite a long time ago i mean yes i got the end and i submitted a paper and passed and that kind of thing but for me it was the process that was more important than the actual exam itself because questioning my knowledge learning stuff applying that stuff along the way the process for me was more important than the badge hey i love the badge you know i'd stick that on my forehead wherever i went to a conference say look at me i've got this um but it was that process so even if you do get to a stage where you've you've done an exam and it hasn't gone well you still got a lot more knowledge than you did at the start of the process so you're still going forward i think that that's mm. the main thing uh inside there I'd like to talk a bit about kind of technique because I know that you've got some really good stuff around this one. But before we do that, um, just want to touch on past papers. Um, quite a few comments on those in the, in the chat room. But I certainly found those useful when I was doing studying and exam. So there's been a couple of comments as well about the expense uh, that exam entry or the coursework can be. So in the chat room, could you just pop in there? Does your employer pay for your exam books, your exam fees, study all that kind of stuff? Or do you have to fund it yourself? It'd be really good to see, uh, you know, what people say about that one. Um, so, Natalie, can we go back to kind of technique? You know, wh why why is talking about technique so important? Because it varies for everybody. So just because your mate Dave is doing it this way doesn't mean to say that that's going to work for you. So you, you've got to find um, the right technique for every unit. And the reason I say every unit is because... The content is different, as we know, across different units and dependent on your exposure, either within your day job or past experience, you're either going to be able to take that content on better with some units than others, but your approach might need to be very different. So this for me is where a study plan that is um, with a certain level of rigidity in there comes into play. But equally, it's not binding contract. So allow yourself some flexibility so that if things aren't going to plan, you can move them. So to kind of drill down a bit deeper into that technique, this comes down to the resources that you're using, whether it's physical or whether it's digital, um, how you make your notes, um, whether they're in written format, um, you know, reams and reams of notepads with highlight everywhere or post-it notes. Um, one thing that worked particularly well for me was actually reading the textbook out loud to myself, but recording it on a voice memo so that I could then play that back. So I might go on a dog walk and I would play that back to myself. And it would be really interesting the amount of times on a dog walk where you'd have those penny drop moments where you'd go, oh, get that now purely from hearing my own voice. And that's not because I like the sound of my own voice. It just worked well as an audio. So that's something I would really recommend. Yeah, I've heard quite a few things about um, sort of absorbing knowledge. Uh, and one of them was about the fact about, I say, recording yourself, but then playing that to yourself when you fall asleep. 
um, because you, your brain is is more spongy, if you like, to absorb stuff. Um, and your subconscious kicks in and it kind of reinforces those learning points. So, but you're right, I think everyone's going to be different uh, around that. Um, and it's, it's finding something that works for you, isn't it? Alan, did you have a study plan when, every time you did an exam? Uh, I'm going to say yes, but it wasn't kind of a Lisa Simpson style planner on the wall with different coloured dots on different days that you spend so long putting together that it's exam tomorrow and you haven't actually started it yet. It's more of a, okay, there's 10 chapters in this book. Six of them are small, four of them are big. The big ones take two weeks. The small ones take one week. I'm going to break it down. So I've got a small chapter per week or half a big chapter per week, and I just map it out to the exam date. Yeah, kind of bite-sized chunks. That that works for me as well. I should uh, say, actually, I, I do leave a, about, I don't know, maybe a week or two before the exam so that I finish my study with enough time to then do the past papers and read back through my notes and make sure any areas that need revisiting, I've had time to go back to. Yeah. Okay. I think the um, the overwhelming number of people uh, in the chat have got some kind of support from their employers, but not everybody, um, which is a shame because I think, you know, what's to lose from an employer's point of view? You're investing your people to get better at what they're doing, which makes your business better. Don't kind of get that one better, but there we go. Um, right. A couple of questions um, that have been sent in here. So this one's from Becky, first of all. Um, how many hours per week do you recommend putting aside for study? Um, I know the CII give estimated hours, but realistically, how long should it take to pass an exam? I don't think I've ever done the kind of CAI stated number of hours. Like when I've logged my CPD for my study, I don't think it's it's, it's been that that big, but it depends how you learn and how you're doing your learning. Um, so as long as it takes for you, I guess. I completely you agree. Well, you've, got, you've got to have um, a start point. And I think as, as the CII, and I know, again, there's lots of routes that are available, but with them, and I'm sure it's the same with others, they'll give you a kind of guided number of hours that the unit should take. But you've got to have some leeway either side because everybody learns differently and everyone, some, some one person will do it quicker than someone else. But if you can use that as a guide, map that out over a certain amount of weeks so for example with the bts study plans we d we look at that over an eight or a 12 week basis and then you can work out how many hours a week that potentially is going to cost you in study time if you like is that achievable can is that realistic for you and i think that's what's um, important to realize here is being realistic don't set yourself a target that you're going to be studying 20 30 hours a week if that's not something that you can realistically do um so it is it is going to be different for everybody completely agree with alan i think you find that as you go as well don't you because mm. you could do if you start your first chapter and you think right i'm going to do this in a week so i'll give it one hour per day four days a week and then i'll do two hours for two days at the weekend and if if that feels like too much or too little for you to go through that chapter, then you can adjust accordingly as you go through the rest of the workbook. Yeah, that's something I found when I was, when I first started studying. Because quite honestly, I think when you're, you're first starting out, you're going in blind. You've no idea how long things are going to take you. So there's got to be a period of trial and error and working out um, how much time you can commit to it. Because that's the other side to it. In your mind, you might say, well, I could do this night, this night or that morning or that lunchtime. That's so many hours. That's what I'm going to do. 
And then actually a couple of weeks in, you're sort of looking back on that and going, mm, that's not that's not really well working. And that's where I say the flexibility within your study plan has to come in because you've got to get the mechanics of what you can achieve right. Yeah, I, I think one of the mistakes I made when I was doing exams was I probably spent too much time with my new moleskin notebook writing out my detailed pretty looking study plan and i didn't actually doing any studying um not that i'm a procrastinator at all um but that, that was a, a problem that, that i came across with um another question here which is from nola um is there anywhere or a list anywhere of which exam content is similar this comes back to your double bubble approach alan doesn't it i think really so how did you go about that or is there a list somewhere or is it just a case of looking mm. at the, the syllabus um i haven't seen a list i did what did i do um i did one of the investment exams um and i'm trying to remember which af it was i'm afraid i can't apologies but somebody said to me ah that's like the uh discretionary management exam so why don't you do that one at the same time and and they've spot on so i think yeah have a look at the content if you're doing uh, cii exams have a look at the content of the different exams and uh it should be pretty obvious which ones are kind of of a, of a, of a similar type but I, i'm not aware of the list be quite helpful wouldn't it to have a list of which ones kind of go hand in hand yeah maybe we should start on the big ten mm. <laughs> right uh, let's take some more questions we've had come in um how do you deal with stress and nerves both while you were studying and at the exam itself Ooh, that's a good one i get really nervous as the exam approaches um, like in the days leading up to it. Um, so I, I increase the level of my study. I do lots of past papers and read through my notes because it gives me the feeling, whether it's real or not, it gives me the feeling that I'm in it, that my headspace is in it. Um, and I'm just kind of absorbed in all, all material. Um, but when it gets to exam day, it goes to a whole nother level. Um, I get really nervous the whole sort of sweaty palms can't do this i don't remember anything all that stuff comes out um so breathe i just uh, seriously I, I do i do breathing exercises uh i do uh this technique where you just kind of try and disengage your brain a bit like um listening close your eyes and listen to things listen to things that are far away listen to things that are closer the things your your mind normally blocks out it kind of takes over uh, from some of those racing thoughts and it helps you just calm down a bit um and then once the exam started and the kind of anxiety has peaked um i'm too busy thinking about what i want to write and the next thing you know it's over isn't that the truth the next thing you know it's over that three hours went really quick yesterday <laughs> um I, I agree i think um the breathing exercises are really important um something i, I uh, posted about this a little while ago but something i've started doing um which once upon a time i felt a little bit silly doing was self-affirmations but telling myself i can do this i'm feeling what i'm feeling because i care about what i'm doing um but just having that mental chat with myself and reminding myself that I, I can do the task in hand. Um, the other thing that works really well for me on the lead up to an exam, um, and maybe this comes from having children because it's sort of nesting in a way, but cleaning, just having a bit of a declutter or a clear out of something helps clear my mind. Um, that's what works for me. Maybe not for everybody, but it, it, it does the trick for me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to struggle with that one. So, <laughs> um, this this is a I've never done an online exam. Um, you know, in my day, it was like chalk and a blackboard um, in those days. But are there any different techniques or approaches that you should adopt if you're doing your exam online as opposed to going into a room with lots of other people? Yeah, I, I think the, the other way to sort of answer that question, all, all exams for all intents and purposes are online in some format. Now, whether you go to a test centre and you're sitting a multi-choice question because it's on a computer, there's no writing involved. And even the written exams now, that is all online. So you're typing into a, a white space on a computer um, rather than doing it handwritten, which I think is much better to avoid the achy hand there. Um, but um, I think with the written, uh, sorry, the multi-choice question papers, there's lots of things that you can think about and more so when there is a time pressure. So heading into that exam, reading the question, read it again. Can you answer it there and then? No, move, flag the question, move on. Use your time wisely. I think that is such a key thing with all of these exams. Um, and with the written exams, it's planning out your answers. So again, read the question, read it again, make sure you've taken the clear verbs out of the question stems um, and then think about before uh, think about what you're going to write before you actually write it. Um, but equally, if there's a, any doubt, flag the question and come back, move on to the stuff that you are absolutely confident on, because actually that does something for your psych psyche during an exam. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Alan, I know that you mentioned you had uh, some stressful times with online written exams and there were a few issues. Do you want to kind of share what happened and how you dealt with it? Um, well, I'm, I'm hoping they're a thing of the past now with the changes that have been made recently. But there was a point during uh, well, I had to do an exam. Uh, I did it in my office. I was alone in the office. Uh, the door was shut. I put a thing on the door saying, uh, quite please and don't disturb exam in progress. During the course of that exam, you had to do the thing with the uh, camera around the room so they could see um, remotely that there was nothing uh, nothing dodgy. And during that three hours, someone knocked on the door. Uh, the system, uh, the screen went white um, in the middle of the exam. It just Everything just disappeared. Um, what else happened? Uh, I couldn't get the, the little video scan of the room. I couldn't get that to upload. And on top of the nerves you have already, it, it really throws you. It, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, after that, all the online exams I did were in test centres um, where all those things are on someone else and you could just focus on the exam. So I wouldn't I wouldn't choose to do an exam at home again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Stressy. I have sat um, exams at home and at a test centre um, and my first one back in a test centre was yesterday and I, I will echo that because actually arriving at the test centre knowing I hadn't got to do any of the mirror checks or show the ID or rely on the systems sort of working and being installed properly was um, a big thing not to have to think about so that has made me think slightly differently about my own preferences going forward in terms of where I take my exam. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm just going to pop something up on the screen here. Um, 
There we go. So John's put a, um, a comment about uh, crossovers, um, about our kind of double bubble. So John, you said about Patterson Group did used to maintain a list. I don't know who Patterson Group is. Have you got a link or um, something like that or just point us in the right direction? Because that could be a good starting point for the thread we can put on the big tent. So um, that'd be really useful. Thank you very much. Um, what about coursework based exams um, or qualifications? I mean, is there a different approach to those? I mean, Alan, you've, you've had some experience about that, haven't you? How, how did you go about those? Um, I found it really hard, really hard to do coursework exams. So in the uh, the kind of three hour sit down in a test centre type exams, I know how long I've got. I know where to find the marks. I know that you mustn't spend too long putting extra things down for uh, questions you know lots about if you've already covered enough points to get all the marks and, and, and move on. Um, and how to bullet point the answers. And when I got to a coursework exam, it was completely different and it really threw me. Um, and I struggled more than anything with knowing what it was the examiner was looking for. So I put my first, I, I did AF8, which is one of the pension um, income planning um, uh, exams. And there's three case studies. Uh, the first one seemed okay, and I passed it. The second one, I wasn't sure how much I could repeat from what was in the first part, the first assessment. Um, I wasn't sure where the marks were because I thought I'd done okay in the first one and my mark wasn't great. And the last one I scraped through on the past mark. It was really, it was really that close. And I, I looked back over it and I was like, I, I, I don't know where the other half of the marks were. I just don't know. And I think although you can, you've got a bit of time and you can look stuff up and you, you you've got a bit more flexibility over how you how you do that exam pinning down what it is they're looking for was a struggle for me uh and i think perhaps and this this isn't a statement of fact this is my assumption that maybe they were looking for more statements of the obvious because there's a lot of things that we know from working in this industry that you don't write down because everyone knows what an ISA is so maybe i threw away some marks um but I did get some help with the second one. I got some pointers. Uh, people were telling me um, use tables, use charts. It doesn't count towards. Uh, is this right, Natalie? It doesn't count towards your word count if you put something in a table, and so you actually have more scope to write more um, yeah. sort of commentary mm -hmm. if you put things in a table because it takes it out of your word count. It gives you a bit more, um, bit more leeway to write other stuff. Top tip there. Um, I've desperately been trying to think of an exam tip because it's been so long because you've come up with some great ones. I haven't added anything yet. But the one thing I remember I used to do every time I went into to an exam, I used to get a blank sheet of paper and I spent about the first 15 minutes just dumping stuff out of my brain onto that bit of paper because I knew it was probably going to come up and then I could relax a bit and think, right, I've got my reference document there. And I used to find that really helpful. Nothing came up. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, Never mind. Uh, right. It's um, we've only got 10 minutes to go. That's flown by. I've got a couple more things that have come in. I just wonder if we could spend a bit of time on. Um, someone's asked about funding. Um, and we talked a bit about employer funding, but um, I don't know if you two might know the answer to this one. But if, if you don't get employer support and you've got um, you know, can't afford all these kind of things, are there any kind of funding or grants available um, for people out there to do these exams? Alan? 
I don't know if any. Nothing <laughs> I'm aware of. Nothing I'm aware of. Yeah, I, I question, that though, and uh, yeah. something I'd be interested to look at just from the point of view, because there must be lots of people in that position. There's, we have lots of candidates that self-fund. So if there is anything out there, we need to know about it and help our candidates out. So I, I will go away and look at that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. This is probably um, a very unhelpful um, comment, but I would say talk to your employer again, give them a bit of a push on it. Yeah, they might yeah. be what what's their motivation for not helping you are they afraid yeah. of losing you if you get qualified that they think they're going to have to give you a pay rise there's no good outcome for them if they say no mm. yeah i know we've got at least one person watching today that's not in financial services but is self-funding his way through the diploma because he wants to get in um so but there's people like that out there as well that um you know want to break into what we do uh and are paying for themselves um can you, this is not me speaking, this is for somebody else. Have you got any tips for getting over bad school exam experiences? My daughter actually um, had a terrible time in her last two years of school, um, specifically with her GCSEs, because she um, just didn't get on with that very stressful for her exam environment. And I think that's something she's even now, sort of a few years later, um, struggling to leave behind a little bit it's that element of fear and failure and just the the classroom environment so i think it will depend on the reasoning for those bad school experiences but i'd, I'd love to talk to whoever that is more about that and see if we can help in some way and again that's the sort of thing that we sometimes get inquiries about at bts and, and we're happy to support you where we can so do get in touch um, but just, yeah, it, it's a difficult one to answer, I think, without knowing a bit more of the picture. But there is always a way forward. And I think the really great thing about these type of exams, irrelevant of the exam board you're using or the resources that you're using, there, there is always a way forward. There really, really is. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, I just want to um, finish on one thing, which, which um, there was a, an interesting thread on the big tent uh, about exams and revision for people that have ADHD. And uh, we talked about this while we were preparing for this session uh, and, and about the wider kind of neurodiverse learning community out there, because th there's lots of people that, um, you know, have to overcome these kind of things. And we wanted to mention it today because we didn't think we could do it justice just by maybe answering as a Q&A on here. So, we're going to give a whole session dedicated to this uh, topic later in the year. Natalie's going to be joining us back on that one as well. Um, but good to know in the chat um, if anybody watching now would be interested in that from an ADHD or autism perspective, whatever it may be, any neurodiverse perspective, um, because we'd love to hear what you'd like to know about it. Uh, and we're looking for other people we can bring on that have got particular expertise in this area. So um, we just want to acknowledge that. We saw that in the big tent uh, and we are going to do something on that later in the year. Wow. That's gone really quick, isn't it? Um, we're going to pop a few more links in the chat now. So um, I'll ask the assembly bot, which is our own artificial intelligence, um, to pop a link into the power-ups uh, in May. Um, Natalie, we'll pop a link into the BTS career zone. Tell us a bit more about this, please. Thanks, Richard. Um, so very recently, uh, BTS launched a brand new arm to our level of support. Um, we're known for supporting with the exams, but something that comes up really often um, are things like next steps in your career or perhaps you're brand new, like we were talking about earlier on, um, to financial services looking to get into the industry, or perhaps you're considering your next career move um, from one role up to another or into other avenues of financial services. So BTS 
has launched the career zone um, and on there you will find lots and lots of helpful resources information articles um, interactive kind of materials that will tell you lots about the industry as a whole really delve into specific roles what they entail um, qualifications that go alongside them how to navigate your way um, around the various areas of financial services so if you are thinking anything about your next career move do take a look at the bts careers zone because there will be lots of tools to help you make some really informed decisions um, and then the other side to that is that we've just launched our jobs board as well. So any firms looking to recruit, we can help you with that. Um, and your audience will be far more targeted than perhaps something like Indeed, where you'll just get all sorts of people applying for your jobs. Um, and the other thing, which is the thing I wanted to mention last, because it brings us nicely back around to what we've been talking about today, is our forums. So we have just launched our forums as well. Um, so specifically for um, certain units that you might be studying, we've had one going recently for AF5. So all the people that were on there, we've been chatting away um, about about the upcoming exam. And it's been really great to have that feeling of I'm not alone. So there are lots of um, really good forums in there as well. And we welcome you to come in, have a look, um, start a conversation with people and um, yeah, do this together. Brilliant, thank you. I didn't know you had a jobs board on there. We've just started recruiting, so I'm going to go and have a look at that. Yeah, um, jobs and, um, board is new this week, Richard. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, there you go. Talking to forums, of course, the big tent is there. Um, lots of people use it already to talk about CPD and exams. There's a whole category there, so we can keep the conversation going on there. Um, a massive thank you to both of you, Natalie and Alan, for the time you've put in preparing for this and sharing your expertise and your experiences here. Um, I found that really enjoyable and very informative, and I hope everybody watching did as well. Um, massive thank you once again to our supporters at Aegon, Barnet Waddingham, Just, MG Wealth, Novia, Parmenian and Timeline, and Transact. Thank you for all of your questions and comments in the chat room. Don't forget a video replay is available on our website, probably about later on this afternoon. If you want to come back and watch it again. And the podcast is there to download and play when you're out walking the dog or studying or whatever you want to do. Uh, you can listen to us or watch us. It's entirely up to you. Um, but for us, thank you very much for watching. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Have a good afternoon. Goodbye. <laughs>